Praise the Lord. We want to uh, begin a two-week Sunday school. Pastor Greg will be back in two weeks to continue on in the rapture and defending uh, the pre-tribulation uh, rapture. He, uh, there's just, he's in Argentina this week, next week. Um, his nephew gets married, and so uh, they're going to be there for that first uh, of Pastor Mitchell's great-grandchildren to be married, and so that's kind of a significant mark and uh, be very beneficial for the family for that. And so I, I, uh, when I uh, first went on staff, Pastor Greg, um, uh, there was a marriage seminar um, to help marriages and, and such. To He um, sent my wife and myself. So I'm actually a certified marriage counselor. And so is my wife. And so could you if you paid the fee. But anyway, uh, it's not really worth anything. But, uh, but out of that, I, I gleaned some things about marriage. And, and uh, uh, we had talked about me doing some marriage uh, seminars and things. And then we got into this massive building project. And so uh, I had prepared some of these. And so this week, I want to talk to you about the law of first mention of marriage. And next week... Uh, I believe, you know, uh, some people, you've been married a l- for a while, and uh, we're going to uh, look at a thing that maybe you have never considered, uh, that this side of marriage, but we're going to look at the spiritual side of marriage next week, because marriage touches every area of our being. It touches our emotions, it touches our physical, it touches our... Uh, social, of course, our financial, and our spiritual. It, it encompasses every part of our being. It is the most unique relationship in human terms that you can have is marriage. And so we're going to look at uh, the law of first mention and three major understandings that God himself brings out in marriage. And so I'm going to need some scriptures and we're going to have fun. This will, I just I want to put this out first. I know the children are in Sunday school, but we do want to keep this at least PG-13 as far as, because marriage, anyway. And so, but we're going to talk a little bit about sexuality next week, because uh, it's one of the most spiritual things a human being can do. And that'll blow some of your minds, because you think of it only as a physical or a carnal thing. It's actually very, very spiritual. And so let's look at God's plan for marriage. We're going to look at three understandings of marriage. I need Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Who would get that? Woody. And then uh, uh, I need Matthew 9, 19, 5 and 6. Neil. Um, Deuteronomy 24 and verse 5. Bob, uh, I mean, Hebrews 13.4, Wayne Cook, and Proverbs 18.22, Steve Hernandez, Ephesians 5.25, two more we'll get, and then that'll get us through the first section. Ephesians 5, uh, Frank Bruner, and then Ephesians 5.33. Mark. All right. 
So let's consider, first of all, there's a rule of Bible study. If you're going to study the Bible, there's what there's called the rule of first mention. The law of first mention or the rule of first mention in the Bible is that everything that will be spoken of about that particular issue afterwards will always have references back where it was first mentioned. And in the Garden of Eden, there were two issues that were put forth before the curse. And that was, number one was work, and number two was marriage. Then entered sin, and things began to change. But this is God's plan for marriage. Genesis 2, 18 through 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living thing, every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, to all the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they too, and they were both naked, and man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay, some Bible scholars believe this is why we know Adam spoke English. Because he brought Eve to a, whoa, man. And that's how a woman got her name. And so uh, you can work on that if you want. But here's the understanding that God begins to speak about marriage. And he says, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, cleave unto his wife, uh, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They were both naked and they were not ashamed. Here is a very basic in uh, the first understandings of marriage that you have to have for a successful marriage. This will, you know, people have different personalities, different needs, different cultures, but in this principle is the understanding of what should be in a good marriage. This turn, this, uh, uh, these two verses, 24 and 25, are quoted four times in the New Testament. One of them is Matthew 19. We're going to look at this in a little bit greater detail. Matthew 19, 5 and 6. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And so here we, again, we have this. Jesus uses this. Paul quotes this uh, uh, number of times uh, in the uh, New Testament that the understanding of this Scripture, Jesus refers back to, this is the principle, the foundation of marriage. And so the first thing that we can glean from this is, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. Marriage then needs to be, as far as human relationship, your priority. This word to leave, it literally means to loosen or to relinquish. Uh, it means to, uh, that the priority person of your life becomes your spouse. Over your parents, over your children, 
over your friends, over every other relationship. God puts such a high value on this. He says that all other relations, you know, he doesn't say you hate your mother or your father, you know, you just, you're done with them. And in some cases that can happen, but most it's to loosen. It's to, that the bonds of those are not going to be as tight. Two, uh, we had a marriage once on Cape Cod in the church there, and uh, never forget it. We were, they, this couple came in, they got married, and as they're at the altar before they have the kiss, you know, you may kiss your bride, they prayed for the couple. And while they prayed for the couple, the groom left and went over and hugged his mother. Not going to end well. Right? The priority, the loosening there of that relationship. That's not to say you hate your mother, but that means the priority over all others. I've seen the tragedy of couples that they focus solely on the children. The problem is children grow up and they leave. And then you're empty nesters and you're living with a complete stranger. Because the priority wasn't. Now, again, I love my children. I, we, we, you know, they're gone. They've been gone for quite a while. I believe in the Dave Barry method of getting rid of your children is you send them away, you move, and you don't tell them the address. <laughs> it's really a good way of get, not letting them come back. We actually did that. We send them both off to a different country. But anyway... The priority, Deuteronomy 24 and verse 5. When a man has taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war or be charged with any business. He shall be free at home one year and bring happiness to his wife whom he has taken. Wives love that scripture. (laughs) See, you need to be happy. All right, so, but here's the reality is God says this is such a priority that in the first year, he's exempt from military service in the, uh, in the, in the Israeli army at that time. That uh, he, his priority, God puts a priority on this. Hebrews 13.4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Okay, what I want to pick out of this this week Marriage is honorable. This uh, word honorable has to do with esteem. God esteems marriage. I know the world doesn't, right? It's, it's tragic in our generation, right? It's the homosexuals that want to get married and the heterosexuals just live together. It's absolutely tragic how this is playing out in our generation. But the reality is God puts a high. God says, I esteem marriage. I put a value on this. I put an honor on this that is above. Uh, doesn't matter what the world says. Every bachelor knows this scripture, Proverbs 18.22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Even her? Yes, even her. You found a good thing. It's a good thing. It's... Here's uh, Solomon in his Proverbs, and I know he, he was a little out of balance when it came to finding wives, but 
he, he says this in, our, in, in the understanding, right? He who finds a wife finds a good thing. There's a blessing in that. There's a, uh, a value in that. And so God puts a priority on marriage. That means so should we. That in our relationships, in human relationships, I remember hearing Pastor Kevin Foley say, there is no church ministry job situation that I'm going to put before my wife. That I'm going to, that I'm going to make, she's my priority. That's one of the reasons why I believe Pastor Kevin Foley is kind of known for his marriage seminars and uh, sermons that he, you know, uh, he understands this. He put a priority. He said, you know what, in human relationships, I understand our relationship with God is more important but in human relationships speaking, marriage has to be the priority over every other area. Now, this, is gonna, this means it's going to cost you both husbands and wives. This means you're going to have to sacrifice and lay down your needs and your, definitely your desires and even sometimes your needs for the other. Right? That sometimes that means you're going to have to absolutely give time. You'll make a statement shortly, but uh, a woman's need for intimacy is different than a man's need for intimacy. A woman's need for intimacy is found in conversation. And her desire for conversation, her need to connect with you with words is as strong as a man's desire for physical or sexual connection. That takes time. Can't give a few grunts and go on your way. It also deals with attitude. Yeah, I'll listen to her. Yeah, I'll do what he wants. Yeah, Attitude. It's horrible if it's not good. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's a pretty high standard, isn't it? Not love your wife enough that you get what you want. Not love your wife enough to get through the day. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And to the ladies, Ephesians 5.33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love your, his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let me say this to the wives. If you're waiting for your husband to earn your respect, he'll resent you. He'll resent you. Because you don't feel like you should have to earn his love. Say, well, he doesn't deserve it. We could weigh that through, but the reality is if you're waiting for him to earn your respect... It would be like you 
saying, I need to earn his love. That's how serious this issue becomes. And so, let me ask the questions now. How does that affect our daily lives? Right Now, here's the theory, the principle. You're going to make relationship for this cause. Shall a man leave his father and his mother, cleave unto his wife? So, what does that mean in an everyday kind of language? Everyday kind of issue. How does that affect us? You know, I remember uh, my pastor used to say that when you and your wife are getting along, it's like a little bit of heaven right here on earth. And it is so true. Mm-hmm. And it is great. <laughs> so if, it, if you're working at it, it's going to be beneficial. That's absolutely true. But how, do, how, do, how, does, that, how does that make us act? How do, what does that mean in our lives? Jeannie? Is this turned on? Okay. If the wife is being Barb the builder and building up her husband, he will turn around and love her the way she wants him to. And the vice versa is true. If you treat your your husband the way you're supposed to or your wife the way you're supposed to, you're going to get what you want back just naturally. Okay, so but how? How do you treat your wife? How do you treat your husband? Compliment him. Tell him thank you. Words. We'll get into that in just a moment. Pete? I think what you're saying is you have to be proactive. You, that you're, you have to basically understand that she is the, or he is the, the primary focus of your life, and you do things. You actively do things. Like what? Oh, like, um, well, gee, I mean, some of these things you can't really say in a public setting, but. Um, yeah, PG 13, it. <laughs> But, you, you know, you, you minister to each other. You, you say things, as you said, you say things, you, you do things like what? Um, you... All right, let me help yeah. you. Yeah, one, one of the great love languages of, right, is money. Right? Sometimes if you buy them nice things, take them to dinner. Oh. Look, your husband might not be able to cook, but he probably can make reservations. <laughs> I know some wives who can't cook. Reservations might be good. Domino's delivers. But, you know, sometimes you've just got to spend a little money on them. You've got to spend a little time. You might come home and find your wife, and she's twitching because she's dealing with three out-of-control toddlers, and she just needs a break, man. How about date nights? Date nights don't even have to be expensive. We don't have any money. You don't have to make it expensive. Go down to the park and do a couple of laps and a walk holding hands. That can be thrilling. And talking without the children there. I tell, I, you know, I pastored one church and I come together for one marriage thing. And I said, okay, listen, this is what you probably, this would help you. Go to a couple that you trust and say, listen, this Friday, I'll take your kids. Next Friday, you take our kids. We pick them up Saturday morning. can be very, very healthy. 
So it has to play out that you're looking to meet the other one's needs. So what are some of the other ideas? Stephen, you had your hand up. Yeah, Stephen, and back there, yeah. So a pastor told me that I should make my wife a priority and make time for her. And that would pretty much uh, get the reciprocation of the love and respect going. He had a lot of white hair. And did it work? Uh, we're, we're right here, thank God. So it did, right? So, the rea- so you're spending time, you're putting this in a practical way of caring for the other person. Making them the priority. Instead of just what some people come down to, which is a business relationship. This is the deal. You, you do the dishes, I'll change the oil. You do this, I do that. You know, and we get this agreement, and that's, that's what it comes down to. And that's not really love or respect, is it? That's just hired help. It says that the two shall be, uh, that he shall be joined to his wife. Feelings aren't going to make a marriage. Because some days you're going to feel in love and incredible, and as Joe said, heaven on earth, and it's going to be. And some days you're going to feel like, what the heck did I do? Nobody ever here. Okay. Well, in case you meet people like that, right? True love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. It's a decision of your will. This is why they're joined together. Okay? Now, again, there's the physical, but there's also the emotional, spiritual, the, uh, all the aspects of marriage that begin to connect two people. And, you know, it's funny sometimes in... Many of you might understand this. You meet a couple that you didn't know before they were, when they were single, right? You meet them and you think, man, I can't imagine, you know, John without Sue. I can't imagine that couple that they're, 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 how they, you know, anyone else would have ever been the right person for them. And you see this because they're joined together. They become a unit. They become one group, you know, one particular. Now, uh, I'm not into soulmates, so you know. Soulmates is an old Greek mythology that one that in heaven you were one person and the gods cut you in half uh, and made one female and one male and your lifelong uh, uh, quest now is to find your soulmate, the other half of you. I don't necessarily believe that there's only one person that you could ever be joined again. That it would, but I do believe once you are joined, the two begin to become one. And the lines of uh, uh, where one ends and one begins, you know, how many of you are married long enough that you could start a sentence and your spouse could finish it? <laughs> right. You know, you don't get that in the first six months, but you do get there eventually, right? Because you know the way they're thinking. You probably heard the story 20 times too, but you know the way that their mind begins to go. 
You can tell right away when there's attitudes and things. But God puts such a high priority. I need a few more scriptures now. Uh, Matthew 19, 3 through 9. We're going to look at that. Vince. Uh, then I need First uh, Peter 3, 7. Pete Walters. First Corinthians 7, 14. Steve. First uh, Corinthians. Corinthians 7, 3. Frank Bruner. Uh, then I need Ephesians 3, uh, 5, 33 again the second time. Mark, did you get it the first time too? Okay, it works. Just keep your Bible right there. First Peter 1, uh, 1 through 6. Anyone? Steve? Uh, and Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. David. Yeah, that'll get us through the second part. Okay, so I just want to touch on this because feelings aren't always there, and yet God says you're joined together. This, again, is spiritual, it's physical, it's emotional. And God says, I don't want you to separate that. Matthew 19, 3 through 9. Uh, The Pharisee also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female. And he said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. So this is how serious God is about marriage. He says that even if you, for no real particular reason, get a divorce, he says doesn't work with me. There's a connection there. There's a joining. Now, I will say this. Jesus is laying out the reasons why people get divorced and why it is permitted to get a divorce. And he says the real issue of most people is it's hardness of heart. The modern term is irreconcilable differences. That's the modern term of a hard heart. I don't love him anymore. I don't. She doesn't. She doesn't excite me anymore. Right? She's turned forty. I'm going to trade her in for two twenty or you know whatever the insanity behind that is. Right? That the the thought there that God says it's the hardness of your heart. Statistically, 75% of couples that were going to get a divorce and chose not to, this is just a statistic, uh, doesn't include Christians, well, it includes Christians, but it's not solely Christians. 75% 
we're glad they didn't five years later. That's pretty amazing. There are reasons. I call them the triple A's. Reasons for legitimate are adultery, physical abuse. He called me that. I'm going to die. I want a divorce. No. Or abandonment. If they move to East Oshkosh, West Virginia, and you know, and you don't know where that's well, how can you stay married? You don't know what they're up to. But other than that, God says, no. Make it work. Figure it out. It's the issue of the heart now. What's very interesting is when some people are very upset with their spouses for some issues. It's often their own problem. I have, yeah, I, I, it, some of you know this, but when I counsel marriages, I start with two statements. Marriage counseling is free. Refereeing is $75 an hour, minimum charge two hours. <laughs> so all you want to do, if you want me to just keep score, I'll do that, but it's going to cost you at least $150. Right? Because there's no point in that. That's not going to fix anything. Right? Now, I'm not going to just, you know, sit there, waste my time, your time, uh, trying to figure out who's more right. The second thing I tell people is that in marriage counseling, I've never yet have met a couple that I could say that one spouse is 100% the victim and the other one's 100% at fault. Have yet to meet that couple. They might be out there, but most of the time I'm realizing, you know, there, there are, it might be 80-20. It might be 90-10 as far as the problem. It might be 60-40, could be whatever. But I can tell you that there's going to be issues on both sides. And usually when you begin to poke and prod at them, it's a heart issue. And that's what Jesus is saying. Marriage is really a major heart issue. Because nothing is going to reveal your heart like living with someone 24-7. It's going to expose who you are, the real you. And so often in marriage, counseling, I'm dealing with not only what they think is the issue, but what, what their issue might be. And I've asked people, what, what, do you think, what do you think your problem is? And they're like, I don't think I have one. I'm like, that could be where you need to start. Right? That in marriage, it, it's a real, it's, and so, and I will add with this, all three of the reasons I gave that might be legitimate are all fixable. They're all fixable. They don't have to end that way. I've seen marriages that have come back from all of these things and even more. That I've, that I've personally gone, wow, I'm surprised one of you's not in jail and the other's not in the backyard in a hole somewhere. <laughs> how did that, ma how did you not do that? Right? <laughs> I've joked, my wife might only have one more question for me, and that's how do you reload this thing? You know, I, 
there are there are issues that that you can you can still come back from if you'll deal with your heart. And so in the priority, Jesus says it's about the heart. And so that's where you need to begin. It does play out. The second thing we he be, uh, in our text, Genesis 2.24, it says, And the two shall become one flesh. Now what that has to do, of course, there's a physical side to that. But there's also every other area. The social. The financial. I get... Again, uh, just take this for what it's worth, but I get nervous with couples that have separate checking accounts. Now, sometimes one is very, 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 very financially irresponsible, and there's a protection there. I understand that. But in general, well, I make the money. You don't, you know, I give you... (laughs) Two become one. I get very nervous about some of those. This is, you know, uh, and so the two become one. You become inseparable. Right? Your destinies are now linked. The sin of one affects the sin, or the, it will affect the other. The righteous decisions of one will affect the other. I know couples that have blown up because he was, you know, he did something. I know couples that blow up because she did something. And it has a direct effect on the other. And so you can't miss this. 1 Peter 3, 7. Wives, likewise ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Being heirs together of the grace of life. That the connection between a husband and wife now is that you're, you're together. There's a melding together of two people. John Gooding years ago even gave me a little... Uh, he had read an article that organ donors, that your spouse, even if they're a different blood type, can sometimes be the organ donor for you. That takes numbers of years, but that there's a melding of two people. So whether that's emotionally, physically, financially, however it plays out, that together you're joint heirs, that the promises for you are the promises for your spouse. And the promises for your spouse are the promises for you. This is why we'll get into covering a little bit and, and, and such, but very important to understand. 1 Corinthians 7.14 sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. Now, here what Paul is writing, he's writing to marry those people in the church who they're saved and their spouse is not. And he says that in that, the husband of the, uh, is sanctified by the wife. 
And the wife, the unbelieving wife, is sanctified by the husband. That doesn't mean they're saved and going to heaven. Just because you prayed, now your husband gets to go to heaven too, uh, and he can live however he wants and gets, you know, and get into, it doesn't work that way. We know that. You have to make your own decision for salvation. But what God is, what Paul is writing there is that there's such a joining together that the saved spouse has a spiritual influence in the family that brings a sanctification upon the children. That touches the children, that, that it goes into the whole family. And again, we're going to look at this on a greater level next week. But the reality is of that joining together, that, that spiritual joining, that even if one is not saved, God still is working and still involved in such a way because of the one that is saved. That's powerful. If you, if you grasp your mind that you know, somebody's a, a living devil, if you, uh, you know, amazing stories that come out of people who uh, get saved and some of, sometimes the horrible treatment that this unsaved spouse will give them and give them and give them and then all of a sudden get saved. And the glory that God does in that but there's a joining there. There's the melding too. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. And so here, render forth, that you give that forth, uh, that there's something about that melding that you bring that affection, that what they need, you're putting that as the priority and beginning to minister to them. So let's talk then. Let, let me open it up here. Are there any questions or comments at this point? Linda. About your comment of oneness. My aunt and uncle weren't saved, but they met young Mary, um, Mary or they they met in school, married young, raised their family. They were so in tune with each other. Uh, they ultimately went into a nursing home, assisted care, and they died within six hours of each other. It hit all the newspapers back east. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, num when that kind of thing happens, that always makes the, makes the paper. But yes, absolutely. Yvonne? It was interesting to me that um, uh, my parents, they were married uh, 54 years, and we were, they had, I'm one of five children, and um, you know, they instilled in us that when you get married, <coughs> you're married for life, and they, they made it, you know, for 54 years, and it's not that they didn't have any problems, they had lots of problems, but they stayed <coughs> together, and all of my, my brother and my sisters and and Don and I, we are all still with our original mates. And it was just, um, nothing is ever said, but it's instilled that when you get married, you know, you're married for life. And, uh, yes. And, and I understand, and I, and without putting condemnation on people, there are spouses that make very foolish decisions, which is tragic, and leaves the other one in the lurch. And that can happen. And, and that's tragic. 
It really is. I've, you know, counseled and been there and it's just, it's not, it's not a pretty sight. But that being said, you can still work at it. And that, like I said, even couples that have had maybe even legitimate grounds who said, no, I'm going to still fight for this. Years later, they're happy they did. Years later, it's, it's really is the uh, something worth fighting for. And so, um, let's just talk about, real quickly, how do you meld together? Well, that means you, you fulfill your role. There's different roles in a marriage. I preached a sermon recently. Some of you probably remember it's not just the plumbing, it's the wiring. Men and women think different. That we also have different roles. That doesn't diminish the value of a wife because of uh, that, but it does bring out the understanding of the roles. And so Ephesians uh, Ephesians 5, verse 33 again. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Respects. And so how does that play out? We have a clue here, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of a God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. And so here, Peter writes, and he's talking about being submissive, coming under. It literally means allowing your husband to lead. It has to do with a lesser rank, if you will, that you say, you know what? I'm going to let him be the leader. And this means that you're going to actually put the priority on your heart as opposed to the outward. Now, I am all for if the barn needs painting, paint it. I'm all for that. In fact, statistically, husbands are let down by their wives when they won't try to doll themselves up for their husbands. Do you know that? Men are visual. And so, if you don't put any effort in for him, he feels like you're saying, I'm lesser. I'm not worth it. Just like you want him to put the effort in conversation, he would like you to put some effort into at least looking nice for him. 
Okay, we'll move on. And so, but, he, but Peter says, don't, don't let that be the priority. Rather, you, not necessarily call him Lord, that'd be kind of weird, but, but that you are in submission and you respect him and his decisions. Now think about Sarah. Sarah, you know, Abraham maybe wasn't the smartest of husbands. Twice. Tell them you're my sister so they don't kill me. Right? Rather than defending and laying down his life for his wife, he's like, yeah. You know, it's like, I don't know if it was true, but they used to say, you know, Islamic women walk 10 paces behind their husbands. But after the uh, first Iraq war, the desert storm, wives would actually walk 10 paces in front of their husbands. <laughs> you hear this? Do you know why? Landmines. And so, you know, <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. But that's putting no value on your wife. Right? So, but what the picture here is that you communicate by your actions and allowing him to be a man submitting to God and letting God help you. And again, you have to, you know, men are as tender in their ego as women are tender physically. And if you insult his ego, you insult him greatly. It would be like as if he slapped you physically. You insult his ego. It's just like you. He just like he would slap you. It'd say, well, "I wouldn't. I wouldn't stand for that." Well, that's what you're doing when you insult his ego. And that's what Sarah's saying. That's what it says here. Okay, again, if you make him deserve respect before you give it to him, he'll resent it and he will not perform for it. He won't. Women need love. Ephesians 5, 5 uh, 25 through 33. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of, of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that he should be holy and without blemish, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. How could we sum up loving your wife in one sentence? 
Nobody even, oh, John, somebody's brave enough. The first verse there, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Okay, but how, practically, how does that work? I don't know. How does that work, dear? <laughs> Wayne? Um, um, putting her needs first. All right, as yourself. Wayne says, love your wife as yourself. John, what were you saying? What were you going to add? Putting your wife's needs first. Okay. Carol, did you want to add to that? Just one word for husbands. Just because of my husband, he's amazing. Patience. Well, that's he has part amazing, of it. One word, that's all That's it part takes. of it. She wants to be number one. Not wants, she needs to be number one. You could just touch here. This is one of the damaging things of pornography. It says, I love you, honey, but they're better. Women who wouldn't spit on you if you were on fire are better than the one who actually washes your dirty socks. It's making her number one. Jesus sacrificed for the church. <coughs> Sacrifice, he laid down everything for the church. His priority, to love her as yourself. How you take care of, how, what, what are your needs? Then you're putting her needs in that place. Taking care of her, looking after her. Think about what the Lord does for the church. He takes care of us. He meets our needs. He helps us. Now, you're not God. I understand that. And I'm glad for that. But the reality is, she wants to be number one. And if she has to earn that place, she'll resent you. Okay. So, then the... Final verse here, verse 25. Uh, well, let's get, we're going to get uh, just three more verses. We want to get, I want to get to something real quick. I need Genesis, uh, two more verses. Genesis 2.25. Daniel McCarty, and I need First uh, Peter 3, 8 through 12. Very quickly, I've got a, just a few minutes, and I want to get through this. Somebody quickly. Frank. Thank you, Frank. You've been... All right, Genesis 2.25, real quickly. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Okay, so they were naked, not ashamed. Yes, this time, oh, physically. But let's think about this. They sin, they, get, they put on fig leaves. What do they cover? They cover the most sensitive, sensitive areas of the body. In marriage, you're going to have to Expose yourself. You're going to have to share dreams and failures and, and all of this is going to be there. And in that time, you're going to want somebody who actually cares. You're going to be exposed. You're, you're, all your shortcomings are going to come out in marriage. You're going to be exposed. Some of your genuine character, there's going to be failures in marriage. Without a show of hands, don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you have ever failed your spouse? Right? Everybody could raise their hands, right? Right? We, we all have. 
We're exposed at that point. How you then treat your spouse is desperate concerning this. And this will focus in on how you speak to each other. First Peter, wow, we're very quickly. First Peter 3, 8 through 12. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil, nor reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, for that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love his life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him see, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Okay, so the, Peter's talked about marriages through the first seven verses. I actually believe that he's still on marriage through verse 12. And he says, if you're going to have a successful marriage, you're going to have to learn to tame your tongue. Or when people are exposed, naked, you don't say something... It's going to do great damage. John Gottam, he's a psychologist at the University of Washington and founder of the Gottam Institute. We have this. Could you fast forward to it? He identified uh, to predict, he could predict within 93% accuracy couples that would end in divorce by the words that they spoke, words of contempt, words of criticism, words of defensiveness, and words of stonewalling were the marks, and you can't be naked and be free and not ashamed. If, if you feel like you can't open up to your spouse, then who on this green planet, mostly green, can you open up to? That worked in Ireland. I guess it doesn't work here. God's green earth. <laughs> Right? Five, five toxins he goes on to talk about. Sarcastic words. Well, that's just fine. The lawn isn't going to mow itself. Dishes aren't going to do themselves. Unsupportive words. You're always crazy. This, this big... Uh, Disrespectful words, comparison words, oh, that's a death for marriage. Why can't you be more like John? He's a better husband to his wife than you are. Dangerous and selfish words. Any questions, comments? Got time for one. Pete? I was married 25 years when I came to the realization that because of how I was raised and abandoned and such that I had not given myself to my wife. After 25 years, I went to her and I told her this and I apologized and I said, and literally she came home from her mother's and I had mistletoe over everything, in the toilet bowl, everything. Excellent. She didn't believe me. She didn't believe me. And it took her six months and she said to me one day, okay, tell me, how did this happen? But it took her six months to believe it. I had to maintain that newness for six months. I had a friend who said, I've been happily married for 10 years. He had been married for 12. God bless you. <laughs>